The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, church. Uh, I've had multiple people ask me why I'm not wearing plaid. Uh, and that's because this is my daylight savings shirt. Um, so thank you for being with us this morning to witness a non-plaid Sunday at Fathom. Uh, it won't hop, happen all that often. This is the only shirt that I have that is not plaid. Uh, so just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, it's good, good to have you. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. If you guys uh, do have a Bible with you, would you please grab it and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Uh, if you uh, did not bring a Bible with you, you can open up uh, a phone or a tablet, or there are hardback black Bibles under every single chair. Uh, we'd love for you to open those Bibles up uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We don't put verses on the screen here at Fathom, and so we want you to actually see with your own eyes the text that we will be studying. 1 Corinthians 3 is on page 9. 953 in those hardback black Bibles uh, as you turn there. Uh, so today we get to talk about one of my favorite topics uh, at, at, to, to preach on, which is the church. The church. We get to talk about the church. And if you're like, well, you know, obviously that's your favorite path. That's it's like what you like to preach about because you're a pastor. All right. A pastor talking about the church is like a Chick-fil-A employee saying my pleasure. Right. <laughs> it's just expected. All right. And actually, I'm incited when they don't tell me that. So it's like, so this is kind of like in my wheelhouse, but I actually think that the church is, is an extremely relevant topic for us to discuss, not just because it's in our text today, uh, but because there are sociologists in America today who study spirituality, and they would say that there are two seemingly contradictory things that are true in our culture around spiritual lives of Americans. And the two things are this. First, um, spiritual interest is remaining pretty steady and high in our country. I mean, people are interested in spiritual and religious things. Interest is there. But simultaneously, on the other hand, there is a distinct move away from the church. In the last decade, in the last 10 years, one third fewer Americans attend church weekly. Almost 33% of Americans are not attending church that were attending church in 2010. That's just 10 years of data. This does not bode well for my career choice, okay? It's just, um, there's no job security for me if you're just interested in spirituality, but you won't come, all right? So, um, but, but it's not even just that, that, I, that I wanna talk about the church. Um, it's not even just that there's this cultural thing that we should be talking about this. Uh, but remember, we're studying 1 Corinthians. We're in this book today, and Paul is addressing divisions that had taken place in the church at Corinth. And he, as he's doing this, he's emphasizing that the, 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 the divisions that are happening in the church are a very serious matter to God. That the, the divisions and these factions that are forming are a big deal because the church matters to God. The church matters to God. And, and so if it matters to God, it should matter to us. And frankly, divisions in the church should matter to us because if you want to start polling people who are no longer coming to church, very often it's because they have had a sour experience over a church dividing, over factions within that church. So this should catch our attention. This is what we are setting into today is talking a little bit more about these factions that are forming in the church at Corinth. So 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to jump into this. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Now stop right there, okay? 
Paul starts uh, this text off, he's, he's going to present two metaphors of what the church is like in our text today. And the first one is that he says that the church is a field. He calls the church a field. So this is an agricultural metaphor that most of his hearers would have understood in a primarily uh, agrarian society. And rhetorically, he begins starting to talk about leaders. He said, what is Paul? What is Apollos? Like, what are these leaders? And ultimately, he says, his first point is that leaders in this field are servants. He says, we are servants. Uh, Listen to me here. Okay, church, just listen to me for just a second. You don't have to listen to me the rest of the time, just right now, okay? Um, No, you should listen the whole time. You are not here to serve me. You're not here to serve the staff or the elders of the church. You're not here to move us forward in our careers or whatever. You're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. The staff, the elders, your D group leaders, volunteer leaders, we are here to serve the church, not the other way around. And it's not to diminish, like Paul is not here to diminish uh, the way that you should should respect and and honor uh, those who are in leadership uh, uh, over you. But things in Corinth had gotten way out of hand. Things had gotten way out of hand. If you remember, they were treating their favorite leaders in the church more like the Greeks were treating their favorite philosophers. They were like giving them celebrity status inside of the church, ascribing to to pastors, to church leaders, almost like this, this demigod celebrity status. This would never happen in culture today, right? Never. But Paul, Paul, he he comes out of the gate and he shoots that down. He stops them right in their tra- in their tracks. He says, Hey. We, the leaders of this church, those who preach, those who teach, those who plant, those who water, we're servants. We're servants. God has assigned us tasks. Like I'm the guy who planted the seed of the gospel. I told you about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Then Apollo showed up and he was watering, man. He just watered like a hoss. He preached and he taught you with such clarity and eloquence. It was incredible, his ministry. But that's it. That's, we, I planted, he watered, that's all. We're just faithful servants doing what God has told us to do. So Paul makes the case right off the bat that the church leaders are nothing more than servants of God. They're servants, and when they work faithfully, they will receive wages. So so pastors, church leaders, we aren't indispensable. We aren't irreplaceable. We aren't the ones who receive the glory, and we aren't the ones who ultimately grow the church. Like Paul, he said this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. So anybody here garden? has a garden thing. I don't. Okay. Some of you do. All right. You might be into that. You might be into like, you garden, you've got a green thumb of some sort. I don't know where that metaphor came from. Like, what does a thumb have to do with gardening? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, you might know the best methods. Like you might have this like herbo agro, you know, raised bed, suburban farmer wannabe thing going on in your life. And you just kill it. Like you've got squash and I don't know. That's all I seem to see on social media is squash. Is that the only thing that grows here? Squash as big as your arm, but that's it, right? Can't grow anything else. I don't really like squash that much, so don't bring me your squash, okay? I'll take a Chipotle gift card, not a squash, all right? But so, so truthfully though, even if you're really good at gardening, like even if you're, like maybe you're a farmer, I don't know, maybe you are and you just drive a lot, okay? Maybe you're a farmer. The reality is this, even if you're the best, as, as a farmer, as a gardener, as somebody who likes to cultivate agriculture, you, you, there are so many things that are out of your control. There's so much of this that's out of your control. The Beth mess, Beth, goodness. The best, me, I've had too much hand sanitizer today. <laughs> the best methods that you have for growing and things like that. Like, here's the thing. You didn't create that seed, right? You didn't like create the dirt, You didn't create the water. You can't control anything once that seed is in the dirt and the water is over the top. Like you can't control anything. You got to go to sleep and wake up the next morning. And if there's a little bit of growth, you're like, whoa. That's like, not to mention weather and all the, there's so many factors involved in this. That's why he chooses this metaphor. He's like, hey, we planted, we watered, but God's the one who made some stuff grow. It's a miracle. 
It's a miracle. See, leaders have their place in the field. He's not saying that they don't. But we're farmhands. Like we're hired help. And, and, and if leaders do good work, they get paid, but they don't own the field. They don't control the weather. They don't cause things to grow. They're servants. God gives the growth. God grows his church. That's how it has worked. And that ha- that's how it will continue to work. But then Paul, at the very end of that, that, those verses, he says, you are God's field. And it's important to know that he says God's field, not our field, not the field. You're, you're God's field. The church is God's field field. It's God's church. This isn't Paul's church he's talking about. He's not talking about Paul's church or Apollo's church. This isn't, Fathom is not Chris Martin's church. You know that, right? It's not my church. If you introduce me to one of your friends, we're out and about and you say, hey, this is uh, my my pastor. I go to to Chris's church. Like I'll stop you. And I'll say, no, no, no. We go to church together. We go to church together. You guys go to church with me. This isn't my church. And that's Paul's point here. His his next point is this, the church belongs to God. It's his. And that's why divisions are such a big deal. And that's why causing divisions, it's so heinous to God. Wait till you see the language that he puts to this. Because this is his church. This is his field. So that's the first metaphor. He starts with this agrarian metaphor, okay? Paul gives us this metaphor. The church is God's field. Leaders are servants in that field and God grows anything that comes up in that field. But then he moves on to the second metaphor and Paul's gonna give more time to the second metaphor than to the first one because he's gonna move to not just talking exclusively about leaders. He's gonna open it up, open the doors wide to every person who's a part of the church, that every person will be held to account and how they are a part of the church. So here, let's look at the rest of the passage. Uh, Verse nine, uh, we're just gonna actually hit the end of verse nine uh, through 11 here. He says, "You're, you're God's field, comma, God's building. So now he switches metaphors. You're no longer a field, you're a building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so get your head out of the field onto the building, okay? We're we're building now a facility, a building, a a structure. The church is no longer a field. It's a building. And Paul calls himself, it says in your text, a skilled master builder. He's talking about himself, the the, the planter, the pastor. He calls himself a skilled master builder. In in Greek, that's two words, sophos architecton. Those are the two Greek words there. Sophos is where we get the word wise, So if you remember, this is what links all of this back to chapters one and two, where we talked about Sophia, wisdom. Remember this? The idea that there's this wisdom or Sophia of the world and the wisdom or Sophia of God. This is what he's saying. I was a wise architecton. Guess what word we get from that? You've been on on the hand sanitizer too? Architect. Good job. Cognates. Remember this? Remember Spanish class? No? Okay. That's how it works. Paul is a wise architect. That's what he says. I'm a, a, a skilled craftsman. And, and really, I think the best way to interpret that is it's like he's like a general contractor at this build. He doesn't own the build. He's not the one funding the build. He's the guy managing the build. He's a skilled craftsman. He's a, he's a, a carpenter, a contractor. And so this is a new metaphor. In this new metaphor, this building, okay, the church is a building. Leaders are contractors. And, and his first main point is this. The foundation of this building is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The, the, the message to the church is that there's a temptation to build a church on something other than Jesus. Like implicit in this is a warning that there's a temptation to build on 
something other than the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's back to this wisdom issue. He's a wise architect because he knows that the foundation is important because there's this worldly wisdom that, that's alive then and alive today that would encourage churches to build some, on something else, on something other than the gospel. Uh, and I just shared this in our uh, membership class last week, but, but you can build a church on a number of different things. You can build on a number of different foundations. You can build a church, a big church, on highly experiential and passionate worship services. You can. You can build huge churches on that. These churches tend to live or die based upon the Sunday morning worship experience, the gathering of the saints. They just put all of their effort towards Sundays. And listen to me, worship services, they're a big deal. They're a very big deal. They're just not the foundation upon which we build. You can build a church on social justice causes. You can. You can build a church on, like, we, we call them missions-focused churches. Like, the main thing is for the church to care for the least and for the lost, to take up the cause of uh, the oppressed and the widow and the orphan. And again, really good things. So good, right? Nobody is arguing that missions are bad. But again, they're not the foundation. They're not the thing upon which everything else is built in your church. You can even build your church on community. There are community churches out there. They are built on community. The main focus is connecting everybody, is getting everybody into groups together where they can do life together and be loved and love and serve and be served. And it's all about connection. It's all about community. That's the highest value in that church. And yes and amen to this. I want you to connect. I want you to have friends. I want you to have community. But it's not the foundation that the Bible says the church ought to be built on. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's a big deal because the foundation affects everything. Everything else is built upon that foundation. So uh, Mars and I bought our home that we're in now about 18 months ago. Um, and we looked like, we, you, I mean, if you've been buying a house in the last couple of years in Denver, it's just like a nightmare, Right. It's just crazy in this economy, but uh, we, we, we looked for homes for almost four months before we finally got this home, and then it required another four months of renovation. It was just a big mess, but as we were walking through homes, dozens and dozens of homes, uh, it was crazy how important the foundation was to that home. Like, you are a sucker if you're walking through homes and all you're focused on is the paint color. You are. That's easily changed. That's easily changed. But the foundation, if you don't have a good foundation, it don't matter how mid-modern, you know, Ikea'd out that thing is, right? It doesn't matter how nice the design or the layout or the walls or the doors or the hardware or the kitchen or the bathroom or any of those things. If the foundation is no good, don't buy that home. So, we, so John Holm, uh, one of our elders, he was our realtor. And as we're walking through homes, like he's a contractor, he's like a master craftsman. I just kind of like, did some stuff that he told me to do, right? But like, he actually knows what he's talking about. He would, he would, we'd walk through a house, he'd point out cracks in the walls, just little, like things that maybe I wouldn't even have noticed. He's like, that shows me that the foundation's a little shifty. May not want to go on on this one. He would sometimes like, we'd go up to the bedrooms and he'd open and shut all the doors, which I was like, bro, OCD, okay? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, well, here's the thing. If the foundation moves a little bit, sometimes door frames and the doors themselves will get out of alignment. And so he's opening and shutting them to see if they line up. I was like, Psh, this is why we pay you the big bucks, right? <laughs> we walked into one home and I didn't know. I was just like, oh, it's kind of a cool thing. And he's like, literally John's like this. I was like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> he's just kind of doing this. He's like, something's weird here. Like the floor feels weird. And I was like, all right. He's like, get your chapstick out. So I'm a Coloradan, so I always have chapstick, right? So I get my chapstick out. He's like, put it on the floor. So I set it on the floor. It rolls to the end of the room. I was like, nah, we're not doing this one, right? We'll pass on this. If you know anything about homes, the foundation, like there's some easy fixes. Kitchen remodel, easy. It is in comparison, right? You want a new porch, easy. You want like sweet bathrooms, Chip and Jojo, that thing to the max? Go for it, you know? If the foundation is shifty, you pass. 
you pass. It messes with everything. So hear me, back to those different things we can build a church on. If you build a church on passionate worship experiences as the foundation, it can quickly become a production or a concert rather than a church. It can. If you build a church on social justice causes as the foundation, it can quickly become a nonprof or an NGO rather than a church. And if you build a church on community as the foundation, it can quickly become a social club rather than a church. See, if you build on something other than Jesus Christ, it is very likely that it will become something other than a church. So listen, if you're looking for a church right now, or, or if you leave Fathom at some point and, and you're looking for a church in the future, always try and figure out what their foundation is. Always try and figure out what they're building on because it will manifest into, into whatever that foundation is. It will become that. The foundation of the church is supposed to be Christ. So that, that's kind of like the, the, the point where now Paul is going to shift from just talking about leaders and kind of the organization, the foundation. He's going to move and spread out simply talking about kind of all, uh, all of the members of the body of the church, everybody in the church, not just me as the pastor or us as an organization, but all y'all everybody in this church. And he does so by making a point in verse 10. So look again at verse 10. He says this. I think this is the main point maybe of this whole passage. He says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. It being the foundation of Jesus Christ. And this is the main thrust of this passage from Paul. He says this, be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. Let each one, in the Greek, that means each one. Very easy, okay? But he says, let each one, leaders, but also everybody who's in the church, let each one take care how he builds upon the good foundation that is Jesus Christ. We, we are all called to build on the foundation of Christ, his church. We're all called to build up the church. Later in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see this explicitly where Paul will expound upon uh, the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to every member in the church. All of us have been called to engage. All of us have been called to invest. All of us have been called to build and how each one of us builds actually matters. How you build what you build with will show who you build for. So now look at verses 12 and 13 here. 12 and 13, he gets into some nitty gritty. He says, now if anyone, again, Greek, anyone means anyone, okay? Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, so what's Paul talking about? Like, what's, like what exactly are we supposed to build? Reminds me of the three little pigs, like wood and straw and brick. It was like, oh, okay, one of them's gonna get blown down by a wolf, right? Is that what he's saying? And kind of, okay. What, what Paul's talking about here is how we invest our lives. How we invest all that God has given us into ultimately building up his church. That's what he's talking about. God has given you certain gifts and abilities. We call those talents in kind of church language. He has given you certain availabilities based on your lifestyle, uh, life stage. So if you're single, you've got a different level of time that's allotted to you than then the family with three little kids under the age of six, right? You just have a little bit more time. If you're retired, you're in a different life stage. So you have a availability that maybe somebody in their, their college years do, does not have. So we call that time. And then finally, you have certain resources. You have finances and you have things that you own that are, that are your treasure, we say. So time, talent, treasure. You've heard this probably before if you've been in church. And God has given each one of us 
time and talents and treasure, and he's asking us to take care how we use those, to take care how we build with those. And then he gives these categories like these, he's like stone and gold and silver and wood and hay. Who builds with hay? I don't know. But like, but he's, he, I think the best way to interpret those six elements is really to say there's two categories there, okay? Because this is a metaphor. Remember, it's a metaphor. And these building materials, I think, represent two categories. Some are materials that will endure and some are materials that will not. Specifically, fire. They're materials that will endure flames, I think he's saying the church needs to be built on the foundation of Christ by wise builders with materials that will last. With stuff that will survive fire. The three elements, gold, silver, and precious stones. These are the lasting elements. These are the enduring, some might say the eternal building materials. And then there are those three other elements that are, that are more temporal. It's not that they're bad in and of them, like wood. Wood is not morally good or bad, just so you know that, okay? Just wood. What he's saying is that they're, they're temporal. They will not last, especially under fire. And the question that, that I think we have to ask ourselves this is, what are you building with? Christian, what are you building with? You have time, you have talents, you have treasure. What are you putting them into? Temporal things or eternal things, lasting things? He says, because the day is coming when fire will reveal the type of work each one has done. Did you notice that the day is capitalized in your text? D with a big capital, that's not a typo. They, they pretty much weeded those out of the Bible these days, okay? The D, the capital D, he's referring to a specific day when he says the day is coming. And the day that he's talking about is the day of the Lord. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger puts it judgment day, right? No, that was like a chuckle. <laughs> Not even a little, okay? There's a day that's coming, there's a day that, that Christians all believe is, is imminent. It's coming. And, and on that day, every single good work you do will be tested. It'll be tested by fire. You will stand before God and you will give an account and some of what you do will be shown to have been temporal. It will have burnt up. And some will, hopefully will be shown as eternal. It will survive that fire and it will have a lasting impact. And this is why actually we say every single week here at Fathom, when I talk about giving, we talk about giving your first fruits. I say it every week, we give our first and our best. And I'm talking about finances specifically when I mention that, but I, I'm, I think we can expand that to, to everything, your time, your talent, and your treasure, everything in your life. Are you really giving your first and your best to God? What you do with your first and your best when it comes to the church will one day be judged. It's not just, hey, I, you know, I kind of care about it. It will be judged. It will be put to the test. Do you give God's church your first and your best? Do you build with your time? Do you build with your abilities? Do you build with your resources? Do you give to God your first and your best? Or do you just give him whatever you've got left over? Like, why would you do that? I know why you would, but, but maybe ask yourself that. Why would you do that? And goodness, uh, like, hear me on this. God, <laughs> God won't take your leftovers. Do you know that? He will not take your leftovers. He wants your first and your best because he is first and he is best. And he will reject your leftovers. They will be burnt. The fire will consume them. So here's some ideas, okay? Do you invest your time into God's people? Do you invest your time into the church, into God's people? 
Or is the best of your time each week given to temporal things? You have to ask yourself that, okay? This is why historically Christians have always gathered on the first day of the week, on Sundays. Historically, we have gathered on Sundays, not just because Jesus rose from the dead, but on, it, was, it was the first day of the week. On our first day, we give our best, of what is supposed to be our best to the Lord. The first and the best. It's the first day of the week. This is why we gather on Sunday. So do you give your best of your time to God? Do you invest the best of your abilities and talents into God's body? Like, are you good at some stuff? And do you use that for the glory of God? Or is that just for you? Are you serving? Are you building with us? Or are all of your abilities going to things that will be temporal ultimately? And then honestly, I can say it when it comes to your finances, are you given to the church? Statistically, most people who show up and sit in the chairs in any church in America do not give. See, I do think that generosity outside of the church is great. There's this trend uh, with millennials and Gen, uh, Gen Z that they are giving more to things outside of the church than to the church. And hear me, I get it. I'm a millennial. I'm an early millennial. So like I, we, Marcy and I, we support some stuff outside of the church. We support some, some missionaries and some things outside of the church. But we want to give our first and our best to Fathom, to our church, to his field, to his building. See, the question that you have to ask yourself this is, on the day, on the day, is the house that you're building going to pass inspection? Have you built into anything with eternal value? I know many of you have. And then, so, so, so he doesn't just give us that. He then kind of moved, Paul kind of moves us into some categories to end this passage. So he gives us three categories of how you can build of workers in the church. Uh, so let's look at these and then we will uh, wrap this up. Uh, verse 14, chapter three, verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, survives the fire on the day of the Lord, if it survives, he will receive a reward. So the first category that Paul mentions of workers is this, the faithful worker. You can be a faithful worker, a builder, a, a, a farmhand, if you will. There's a faithful way to do this. And remember, this is metaphorical language, so don't get too wrapped up in it, but, but God's building his church on a foundation of Christ Jesus, and we get to build on that foundation. Like, we get to play. We get to be a part of this thing. And the materials that we build with should be eternal materials, and as we build and invest on the foundation of Christ into God's church, those things will survive the fires. So the eternal things that you should be building with are like investing people into people's lives. And we talked about this in my D group this week, that most of the eternal things we could think about had to do with people, had to do with family and friends and neighbors and people that we were investing in. So yeah, you can invest eternally into people. You can share the gospel. You can care about the poor and the orphan and the widow. Missions is a way to invest in eternal things. These are eternal investments that last and matter to God. So you have to do the work of asking yourself, am I investing in things that will matter ultimately? Or am I merely investing in my temporal earthly happiness? The faithful worker will find that his investments survive. His part of the building survives and he will receive a reward. Now the reward Paul is talking about is not salvation. He's not talking about salvation as if building our good works earns us our salvation. What he says, and I think this is the best way to understand it, to receive a reward means to receive praise from God. I don't know how that really works, like in heaven, but essentially he's like, he's like I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Like I want to receive God's praise, God's blessing as I enter into my salvation. To have God pleased with how we lived and built. This seems to be what Paul is talking about here. But then there's a second category of worker. Okay, so look at verse 15. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
So I'm going to call the second category the foolish worker. There's a faithful worker, but there's a foolish worker. And now notice that this worker is saved. That's why this is a kind of confusing text to work through. Because it says he's been saved. Like salvation isn't a result of his work. Our, Our salvation is never a result of our work. It's always a result of Christ's work on the cross. That's how we know that we are saved because of what he has fulfilled for us. But so, 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 so like brilliant work, like you being a killer Christian, like doing all the great things, it does not earn you salvation, but lackluster work, not, it, it won't necessarily lose it for you. One commentator put it like this. I thought this was helpful. He says this, even failures will be included in salvation but they will enter salvation smelling of smoke. Their labor gone up in flames. Hurts a little bit to be called a failure, but like that's a, a, I think that's a helpful idea. So although this worker is saved, this worker is saved, they somehow miss out on that that blessing, that that praise from God, that well done, attaboy. Everything they build with their time and their talents and their treasure ultimately they find out was for themselves, was temporal and it was burnt. So they may be saved, but they miss out on some part of the reward. A way, uh, maybe I was thinking about this week, a way to think about it uh, could be like uh, celebrating a marriage anniversary. So uh, imagine you're coming up on a big anniversary. All right, you guys got like one year. So like, whoa, okay. But like 10, 20, 25, 30, anybody in 30, 30? How many y'all? 30? 35? Wow. Getting old. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll just keep you yeah. I didn't point to you. All right, bro. But imagine like a big anniversary, okay? Like you're like, like you're, this is a, this is the time to pull out the stops. This is the time to, to, to plan. Like this is a, a special anniversary date. And so imagine, fellas, imagine with me that your girl's into the symphony, Okay. She's like into fine dining. She's, she's kind of a little fancier, right? She's like, she likes being pampered. That's like her thing, all right? But you're not so into that. Like maybe as a guy, you're just kind of like, I'm into sports and wings and breweries. Like that's just kind of, I'm Colorado all the way, right? So like that's my thing. So, so plan your anniversary date, okay? You get her floor seats to the nuggets, okay? Take her to Buffalo Wild Wings before hand as many as you want, sweetie. 35 cent, 35 cent Tuesdays. Okay. I don't think they're 35 cents anymore, but they used to be. Okay. And then afterwards you take a tour of the new little brew pub that that's uh, in that area. Now, listen, listen to me. It might not kill your marriage. It wouldn't be good for it. Like you are not a wise husband, like a Sophos husband at that point. You see what I'm saying? Like it might not kill, your marriage might survive that. Actually, if it's 35 years, you're probably just like, whatever. Like he planned something, right? (laughs) Question is this, who are you planning that anniversary for? For her or for you? Like, Wouldn't you want to give your bride the very best for your anniversary? like to please her, to, to woo her, to show her how much she means, to show her your great love for her. None of the guys are taking notes here, but you know, this will be on podcast. You'll come back to it. Y'all, this is what I think Paul's saying. Christian, don't you want to give God your first and your best? Like with what he's done for you? Wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't you want to show him your love for him, to, to, to thank him for how good he has been to you, like you are saved. But is that all you want? Is that all you want? Don't you want to give him what he is owed? And frankly, I'll just say this because I like to say this. If you have no desire at all in your heart to give Christ your first and your best, it should be cause for concern. Notice all the foolish workers, they at least tried to build. They at least put forth some effort. So there's this faithful worker category. There's this foolish worker category. The last category will take it one step further. Look at verses 16 and 17. We're finishing up. 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is not a new metaphor. This is the same metaphor being kind of taken to the next level because the building is actually the temple. The building is the temple where God's spirit dwells. And and there are other places in 1 Corinthians where Paul mentions you individually being the temple. Like people like to take those verses out of context and says, don't get tattoos because you don't want to graffiti God's temple, right? Like that's wrong. It's bad theology. But, but what's happening here is not you as in individuals are the temple where God's spirit is, but it's you plural. In the Greek, he's using a Greek plural. It even says so, I think in your footnotes of your ESV here, it is you plural are the temple of God's spirit. You. And we don't have a good plural for English except for uh, those from the South, right? Y'all. Or if you want to take it deep, all y'all, right? <laughs> English does not carry these kinds of plural pronouns, but, but the Southerners do. Uh, so he's saying all of you, all, all y'all, you're God's temple. And the word for temple sometimes is translated as sanctuary. You're, you're God's sanctuary. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you church, all y'all church, you're the place where God dwells. He doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He dwells with his people and you are his people. This is why the church is such a big deal to God. God, now this is going to sound controversial, but it's not because it's right. Okay. Just know this. God is more present in us here gathered this morning than he is in any one individual alone. No, God is not found in buildings anymore, but he is found in his building. You, his church. And so the third category uh, for those who would attempt to destroy the church, we're calling them the faithless worker. If you cause divisions, if you cause strife, if you cause the church to be destroyed, the warning is clear. God will destroy you. This is a stern warning. I I mean, it's a... I don't know how much more severe it could be than this. God will destroy you. It's a stern warning to anyone who would divide God's church. It's a stern warning to anyone who would harm God's people. The faithless worker will be destroyed. So another, think of it this way. Another analogy, there's a number of analogies in the New Testament for God's church. Another one of them in the New Testament is that the church is God's bride, the bride of Christ. The church is God's bride. And yet, listen, you can mess with me. But Joe, you start messing with my girl. Well, I mean, a good, a good friend of mine says, you mess with my wife, I will hurt you and I will start a prison ministry on the inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to see irrationality? Just get ready. Mess with the bride mess with the bride. Do you realize that the church belongs to God? It's, it's his church. It's his bride. It's his wife. This is his. All of this, this is his. And if you mess with it, if you divide it, if you form factions, if you attack it, you're not just attacking a pastor or, or elders or an organization or even the people of the church. You're attacking God's bride. Paul's warning is so severe and stern here. He's saying, you better be careful. Paul takes this incredibly seriously. So you got a faithful worker, a foolish worker, and a faithless worker. And this all brings us back to the admonition from Paul. Be careful how you build. This is what I want us to take away 
from this this morning. Be careful how you build. And each one of us has to ask ourselves this question, like what type of worker are you? Are you faithful? I know some of you are faithful workers. You're investing your lives into things that really matter. I would guess that most of, most of us are probably like kind of faithful, kind of foolish, right? Like ba- balancing act there. But listen, be honest with yourself. Like, are you a foolish worker? You recognize that your life has primarily been about you. So you attend church when it's convenient and you kind of prioritize being a Christian, but, but really you, you've not invested in building the way that God has called you to. And this, listen to me, this has nothing to do with how much money you make or how perceivably gifted you might be. With what God has given you, are you investing in eternal things? And then I don't know if there's anyone in here who would fit in the third category, but if you, if you are the faithless, um, you will face the wrath of God. Like, it's not as it's, it's close to fire and brimstone as we can get, right? You will be destroyed. You will be destroyed if you're only building into yourself. Are you faithless? Like, you have to ask yourself these questions. And I think, and hear me, I think you need to ask yourself that today. Like today, not, not later. Like I hear people all the time, they're like, I'll take this stuff seriously when I'm older. I'll take this Jesus stuff more seriously when, I, when I'm a little bit older, okay? Like when I graduate or once I get married, once I have kids, okay? Once we, once we retire, then I will take this thing seriously. And, and the, the problem with that is that the day of the Lord is coming. And nobody knows when it's coming. It could be now, now, now. No, it could be now. No. Yeah, and we'll take an offering now, right? Okay. It's like this. Okay, when I was preparing to propose marriage to Marcy, um, I, I met her. I met, met with her dad. Asked him. It was the worst conversation of my life. Uh, went to Olive Garden, which is all I could afford. Uh, and like, he knew what was coming, right? Royce was like, oh, you want to go out to lunch with me at Olive Garden? I was like, yeah, just to hang out. You know, like, yeah, as if, so he, but he was kind, uh, went, went okay. Um, he said yes, but then I, I felt like I should meet with Marcy's brothers just because I wanted to, I just want to give them the respect of like saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, propose marriage to your younger sister. So I met with them um, and, and I met with her eldest brother, her oldest brother, um, and, and just to fill him in on my plans. Like this is a courtesy call, right? Just to fill him in. Uh, and, and, and he shocked me a little bit in this conversation because he started peppering me with questions. Like, the, like Royce was good. Keith was not, okay? Um, and so he started, he, the first thing out of his mouth was like, well, Chris, uh, how are you going to provide for my sister? And I had blown my entire savings on the ring and a trip to the Olive Garden. Uh, and it's bad to say something cheesy like, oh, our love, it'll sustain us, right? Like, uh, that don't play over, right? So I said, I, I want to be a pastor. I think there's money in it. And he bought it, okay? <laughs> so then he, the next question that Keith gives me, he says, hey, well, what about your plans for your financial future? Okay, like, like wealth management, Life insurance, children's education, retirement. Are you putting away for those things? He's a CPA, if you didn't know, okay? But he's like, are you putting away for those things? I thought, bro, I didn't even have to be here today. Like, this is a courtesy coffee. I already schmoozed Royce with breadsticks. Free breadsticks, by the way, okay? Why are you grilling me? Wealth management? I'm drinking coffee. Black. I didn't even spring for a latte. I didn't even offer to pay for yours wealth management. But it got me thinking. Keith did his job, all right? Freaked me out. See, it got me thinking not just about the engagement or the wedding day or the wedding night, which frankly was all I was thinking about. (laughs) We'll get to that in chapter seven, Royce. Um, You can go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 7. It'll be a good time. But um, but it got me starting to think about the long game. Not just the wedding, but, but the marriage. 
not just my career, but, but my retirement. Like not just the start of life, but the end of life. See, if you're not thinking in terms of those categories, you're deceiving yourself. The day is coming for me, for you, for all of us. The day of the Lord is coming. Be careful how you build, church. Be careful how you build. What needs to change in your heart and your life in order for you to one day hear, well done. Well done. I don't want you to enter into heaven smelling like smoke. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we are grateful for this passage. Lord, it's, this is like a scary one. Um, it's not like a feel-good one. This is like a seat clearer, not a church grower kind of message. Um, but Lord, it seems that it's really important, like that your church, your, your field, your, your building, your bride, this seems to be something that is so very important to you. And it's because you gave yourself for her. You laid down your life for your bride, for your church, for us. And so, Father, I, I pray that we would take caution from this passage, that we would heed the word and consider what kind of work we've been building into. Are we building into simply our own creature comforts, our own experiences, our own comfort and security and fun and whatever? Or are we actually investing the things that you've gifted us with into eternity? Do we love people? Do we serve others? Do we care for those who are lost and least? Do we build up your church? God, would you, through the spirit, help us to, to be honest with ourselves about these things and change where change is needed. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this text. I pray that it moves from our head to our hearts in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.